Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. I'm Richard Sverison. And I'm Anna Shvetska. Today we're back in London and joined by Paolo Kohi and Lawrence Walker. Paolo is an energy expert at uh, consultancy Acosmatics. He's been covering these markets for, for years and years, uh, both coal, uh, gas, carbon, power, of course. Power is a key element of this. And Lawrence has been with Montel for many years, and he's our coal editor. So, so welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. And we've got lots to discuss today, but I thought we'd start off at looking at um, what's happening in the coal market, the, the current coal market dynamics. Prices have fallen to, to below 100. Will they ever rise above 100 again? Well, that's that's a great question. Uh, prices have gone uh, above 100 mm. uh, in recent years, which was for me news, you know, mm. given the, the structural mm. problems mm. that uh, coal markets uh, have, especially for, for steam coal. So uh, the first surprise is that prices went above 100. Uh, I'm less surprised that they've gone below uh, 100. To answer your question, I'm not sure that they will uh, ever go uh, above 100 again, although never never say never. Mm-hmm. How low could they potentially? Could we go sub, sub $50 a, a ton? Or? It, they could. You know, It depends whether you want to look at it from a, a sustained low versus touching the low. You know, mm. Of course, they can't touch lows as they've done. You know, mm. Most recently, I think in 2016, we mm. had the lowest multi-multi-year lows. Uh, so they can certainly go that way, that direction. Um, but there will be, of course, uh, support mm-hmm. um, at, at uh, levels not far from 50. But you said you were surprised by... But surprised because, uh, I- indeed, if we look at the dynamics of prices for coal, we need to look at the cyclicality of such a commodity. And so we know mm. that there are booms and busts. Mm. Uh, but we also need to look at what I call the structurality. So the fact that, at least in Europe, but in reality, worldwide, coal has been phased out. Coal is no longer the primary... The, 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 you know, they used to say King Coal, right? Mm, and King yeah. Coal, I am afraid, is no more. I think uh, he's, he's on his way out. He's on his way out. Ho- however, it's quite resilient at the same time. <laughs> right? Of course. Yeah. We'll come back to that, I think, Paolo. But if we, if we stay, I don't know, if, Laura, if you've got anything uh, you'd like to, to bring up here about the cyclicality of, of these price movements. Yes. I mean, again, I think what we've seen this year is quite a, well, a very sharp drop in prices. And, I mean, on the physical side, we've seen trades you know, below you know, or at least around the 50 level. What you find at this level is that some of the producers become less interested in exporting at such mm. levels. Um, some more expensive, I suppose. Some of the first to go would be the likes of um, the US, who, as we saw last year, hiked exports to Europe quite considerably. So they'd stop um, exports uh, rather than stop producing, or both? Well, initially you'd see probably a slowdown in the exports. Um, it's it's a longer a longer thing to just to, to reduce your production. Mm. Um, also for some of the higher cost producers like the US, they prefer often not to just you know, stop because it's expensive, you still have wages to pay, you have people there. Um, the situation is perhaps different, for example, in Indonesia where you have open pit mining. Um, they can bring people in when they need people to produce um, the levels of coal you require. But certainly some of the more, you know, some of the producers, it's, it's, it's more difficult. And also, it's, it takes a while. So prices need to be maybe sustainably low for a while mm. before you start seeing them taking those sort of decisions. Mm. That said, many of them have already taken such decisions, and we, we're going to see probably less um, less of a surplus going forward in that mm. respect. Mm. But there are also other things. So, for example, we've seen in the recent weeks, we're seeing some coal being 
even reloaded from European ports and shipped to Mediterranean destinations to the Far East. Um, mm. We're also seeing, um, I suppose, yeah, I mean, oil playing a role. Um, we've had year-to-date highs for Brent. Mm. Um, this Brent crude. Mm. And obviously this has implications for the production costs, for logistic costs, um, and can, again, make production less less viable for some some producers. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm interested, Paolo, a little bit in this cyclicality of, of prices and of markets, commodities in particular. Could you go into some more details here? I mean, are we experiencing the downturn in the cycle before we go up again? I mean, what, what, what are the dynamics at play here? When it comes to, to, to commodities, of course, especially coal, we always also have to, to, to think about sort of germane markets such as the foreign currency market, mm. right, where we've seen that the dollar has increased or has appreciated globally in, uh, in recent years, um, and also the freight, the ocean freight market. So these mm. are f- important factors that should also be considered when looking at commodity prices. But to go back to your question about the, uh, the cyclicality, uh, again, as I said, boom, bust. And um, they alternate and they are common to all commodities. One thing that is important to notice is that the boom periods tend to be sharper. Why? Because supply moves slowly, mm. right? And so when there is demand that increases, and as we've seen, for the past you know, couple of decades, China is really dictating what happens mm. on coal in terms of the, of the demand. And with the different regulations and always changing regulations in China, mm. demand can, can shoot up quite sharply. And sometimes supply can be slow in response. And so this causes prices to boom up mm. now. At the same time, once supply moves, and this would be supply in terms of coal, but mm. also supply of, of drive bulk carriers, right, mm. Uh, mm. or shortage, if that's the case, then there is a decline. And you know, one such example is that the fact that coal prices, after reaching peak values in the early 2010, so 2011, 12, they went down for a period of about five, six years, mm. only to go back up quite mm. sharply. And now they're coming back down again. Mm. Mm. So, we're okay, not so quite, we're not quite bust, but we're not far away? We're not, we're not bust. And then, of course, we cannot or must not forget the fact mm. that the global economy is slowing down. You know, mm. Anywhere you look, you can look at the Eurozone. Mm. It grew by 2.2% in 2018, which was down, so a slowdown in the growth with respect to 2017. So that has a factor. Uh, similarly, um, you know, industrial production, again, mm. global GDP mm. has been slowing down, and these factors impact mm. demand for coal. Sure. I mean, Laurie, you talked about oil mm-hmm. uh, a bit, and obviously that's, that, that's also, you know, we're at very so year highs or five-month highs, um, six-month even, close to six-month highs. But how, how, in terms of other commodities like Gas, for example, how does that play a role in in the coal market dynamics here, Paolo? Could you say something about that? Of course, be, uh, if we're looking at uh, power generation, so coal as a fuel for power generation in Europe, uh, clearly its main competitor is natural gas. And what we have had in the past few years was high gas prices relative to coal because there was the Asian LNG pool, so the LNG was going into Asia, where Asian buyers were uh, ready to pay a premium for LNG. Um, to be uh, dispatched uh, there. Now, the reverses happen where now this premium is no longer available, 
in, in Asia, LNG has come into Europe and gas prices in general in Europe have been cheap and that obviously favors gas generation. That's one of the elements. N not to be forgotten the fact that, uh, that there is legislation in Europe Obviously, looking at CO2, the um, coming into play of the market stability reserve. In the carbon market. This in is the carbon the market, market yeah. of mm. course. And that means that there is a strong disincentive to burn coal. Mm. And so mm. there, again, a lower demand for a given supply. Sure. So these are all these are all factors all at play. And yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, again, as you can see, I mean, even looking at the prices, you know, for, for coal, API2 prices, we reached, you know, we rose above 100 in October, early October last year, mm. and it's been heading downwards since. You, you can look at the gas prices, and they, mm. they kind of mirror it. If you look at the M sort of MBP TTF prices, we're seeing highs again mm. in October, tailing off now. Um, and I think especially the API 2 has become very sort of intrinsically linked with, with gas, more so perhaps than we've seen mm. sometimes in recent years when the markets looked to Asia for directions, looked for mm. other particular drivers, but because of this absolute oversupply in LNG, in, in gas mm. that we have at the moment, um, it's really kind of dominated the whole market and, and they're, you know, the moves we're seeing are very closely linked. And, linked um, to gas, to yeah, to Yeah, to so if yeah, we see an upturn yeah. or a downturn, mm. it, they tend to move quite mm. closely at the present. Um, and obviously... As um, Paolo mentioned, the, the you know the docks uh, dark spreads are pretty mm. pretty poor. Um, dark for spreads, the, the, the profits from from gen from generating uh, power from coal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, there some in Germany are barely scraping a dollar um, mm. at this at these sort of levels. So. But it's, I'm just wondering. It's interesting how it all relates to other commodities and specifically and to sort of cycles, commodities boom and bust cycles. But isn't also, you know, a big factor here is what China decides. I mean, the policy front from China. So China decides to import less or import more and prices mm -hmm. move accordingly. Isn't, isn't that also a major factor here? M most definitely. And that's what I was uh, hinting at before when I mentioned sort of China and, and its regulations mm -hmm. uh, impacting demand uh, sharply in, sorry, in, the, in the short term, right? They have mm -hmm. that ability. It's such a large market that a regulation that prevents or disincentivizes its internal consumers from, from importing coal is going to have a reverberating effect in the whole of the transatlantic trade. Mm. Yeah, for, and, and for certainly for gas as well. We're seeing that in LNG and, and of course, similar moves there. And of course, yes. And, yeah. and if I may add, this also uh, comes into play in terms of longer-term trends where, as I mentioned, there is decarbonization. Mm. That's the sort of global uh, goal over to longer periods, say to 2040, um, it also means that there are increasing amounts of regulation, even in emerging Asian countries, mm -hmm. that try to, once again, disincentivize coal use or make it more expensive to use coal. So all of these factors are summing up mm -hmm. in a sort of st structural way, mm -hmm. and they don't, uh, they don't spell a bright future for coal. King Cole uh, heading for the exit, <laughs> potentially, yeah, yeah by, sorry, by 2040. <laughs> Laurie, uh, anything? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, as I say, it's that. history. Uh, I think also what's also perhaps interesting at the moment is that the market is in contango. So mm. we're seeing prices further out, more supported, which suggests, you know, I, either that somewhere along the line they are expecting some sort of a bit more demand or less supply or um, a combination of the two. Um, possibly, you know, we, we may see some more buying from China going forward this year, which, again, could be part of the reason. 
Also, a lot of it is obviously down to the fact we just got such heavy supply in Europe at the prompt end of the curve that it's mm. not, you know, it's it's just bringing um, bringing the market into such a structure. But, but yes, well, obviously the the, the long term outlook is uh, mm. pretty grim in terms of demand for coal. It's um, there are certainly some, you know, um, it's not going to be a straight mm. straight downward dive, as it were. No, it's not mm. going to go off a cliff. But but some people mm. have been sounding the death knell for for coal for for many years now, and still it's still still well, vital yes, part yeah. of the energy mix. Well, we we've seen in, in the UK, for example, in news uh, this this weekend over east, uh, they had I don't know the longest longest ever period without using coal since the industrial revolution. I mean, this is something we're going to see more and more mm. across Europe and eventually you know further afield. But it's um, it's certainly it's a fuel which is relied on still by a lot of countries. Some you know, some that, in Europe still. Absolutely. I mean, that's the direction of travel, mm. clearly. But uh, the pace at which we get there is obviously determined by many factors. And my question to you, Paolo, is what's driving or this direction of travel for coal? Um, is it more, is it policy, policy initiatives such as the carbon price floor in the UK or, or market-based mechanisms such as the European Trading Scheme, or a combination of the both. Because as, as Lawrence just mentioned, uh, we've, um, we've had one of some of the longest periods without any coal-fired generation in the UK for hundreds of years, the lowest for hundred, hundreds of years. So, Well, it's a little bit, if you think of it in terms of um, the sea, and you have tide, and you have wave, and you have ripple, right? So mm. at different levels of, of analysis, you can drill into the causes, and so some of the you know, the big uh, driver is global decarbonization. And that's a long, so that's the tide, right? Mm. Uh, you also have this, the waves, and the waves have to do more with what's actually happening in terms of global supply and demand and the transatlantic trade, what's happening with uh, foreign currency exchange, what's happening with freight and so on and so forth. And the ripple is what, um, what, what Lawrence was hinting at earlier when he's talking about, for example, the shape of the curve. Mm. Uh, and in specifically, for example, now that the curve is in Contango, we see a lot of restocking. Uh, mm. at, at utilities. So what that tells me is that there is no premium on the on the prompt, right? No premium in on the short term. Mm. Um, utilities are taking this opportunity because, of course, coal is on the way out, but it's not quite out mm. yet, mm. Um, even in Europe. And they're taking the opportunity to buy at uh, relatively low prices. Mm. Now, we we may have a repeat of what happened, as I was mentioning, between 2011 and 2016, where... Whereas coal prices in the prompt kept falling down from above 100 to below 50, mm. the curve for the longest time was still in contango. Mm. So that was sort of giving hope that there would be more demand in the future, and yet prices kept sliding down mm. up until the point where it became really, really unprofitable for producers mm. to produce at that at those low levels, mm. which then meant that the rebalancing has occurred mm. and mm. demand again is catching up with supply that has paused, mm. right? And that you could see this effect by the forward curve flattening initially mm. and then switching into backwardation as prices started increasing again, mm -hmm. right? So again, premium on the short term, but not a bright future in terms of demand in the future. I mean, you've done a lot of analysis on, for example, on the impact 
At least I think you have, Paolo. I think yeah. on on. I've on done a lot. <laughs> um, I've done a lot of analysis on many things. things on many, exactly. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So I think, um, in particular, on uh, environmental legislation and rules, I'm thinking of the Industrial Emissions Directive and potentially the impact there on old coal-fired generation. Yes. Um, I know it was you or you and your your partner Gerald Wynn who um, who covered this in in quite a lot of detail and said potentially we could lose what was it um, substantial amounts of coal fired generation yes. in, in 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 Europe because of these rules so that that's where the rules of policy is biting in isn't correct. it correct that's that's certainly what our uh, research notes were pushing for uh, mm. anyways um, uh, although then we're starting to touch a slightly different uh, commodity which is lignite in, in which is part of the problem but there is no doubt that recent approval of uh, air pollution regulation so up until now we've talked about the long-term goals of mm. decarbonization but air pollution regulation um, has actually put the impact right here right now for coal where mm. existing power plants have to make a decision on whether to comply or not and compliance is expensive especially since it happens in a context where Many countries, Netherlands is but one example, have decided and put law legislation into place to phase coal out. The most, um, one of the most um, important examples of this is if you look at the Netherlands, brand new coal-fired units that came online in 2015 will be retired by 2029. Okay, so coal is not a good business from this point of view, and if you want to look into what that means for the commodity, obviously less demand. Mm. Which brings me to the long-term perspectives for coal, right? Even though we may have ups and downs in terms of prices, the long-term perspective is not bright because there, there isn't that strong pull from emerging economies anymore. Once China is gone, mm. India is the big hope, Mm. And then all, you know, we have the... The hope is in the hope for coal demand. The hope for coal demand, market. right? The fact that... Because that, for others, that wouldn't be a hope. That would no, be no, no, most definitely. Certainly the people yeah, camped yeah. out here at Oxford Circus, that would not no, be a hope. So that would be no, a worst-case scenario. Yeah. Correct, correct, yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah. just to yeah, put that in the context. Anything to add to that? I mean, you're seeing, um, you know, the, the, certainly we've talked about uh, the clear direction in which we're going... So Netherlands, but how about Poland? I think Poland's quite an interesting example. Yeah, what were the options for Poland? <laughs> Poland, um, well again, they're the Anna's homeland. Yes, one. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's obviously. A, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a country which is so heavily reliant on coal. It is a. It's a difficult. Um, it's it's going to be difficult for them to to get away from from it. Um, you know, in in the UK, where you know, as we were saying, we can. We, we can quite, you know, we, we can ramp up wind power generation, we can ramp up, ramp up nuclear, all these sort of things. You, since Poland is so, you know, so heavily dependent on not only its domestic coal, also imported coal, um, and it's, I'm not, I'm not sure I can, you know, give a, <laughs> give a clear, clear, sure, clear answer no, on how, because I, I don't think they, they can show that. You don't have a crystal ball um, either, Laurie. I mean, so. what, I think what, what is sort of interesting, again, is... Um, the levels of coal. I mean, they 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 weigh. They completely over imported coal last year, mm. and so um, nineteen million tons. Yes, so yeah. So I mean, as a result of that, um, that was obviously you know something supportive in that way. It's also adding to the weight this year because although we we, we tend to look at the stocks, maybe the ARA's ports, we look at the stocks at German plants. Mm. Um, obviously, 
um, if Poland's not going to import you know, several million tons that it did import last year, that's going to have an impact as well. Mm. Um, so it's even if it's not clear what its legislation is going to do, how, how its future is in terms of demand, um, in the near term at least, it's certainly continuing to play quite an important role in pricing in Europe. Um, and it will do certainly this year, um, if not next year as well. But then you mentioned also the, the coal stocks at, at German Utilities barges couldn't actually physically get to the plants <laughs> by 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 river by yes, using, yeah. using the waterways so what what are they doing this year i mean <laughs> we there's certain certain areas of europe where they haven't seen seeing that amount of rainfall uh, again well yes yeah i mean certainly there, there is a risk and perhaps a high risk of a, a similar occurrence um i think what's different uh, several things For firstly perhaps they're better prepared this year um some of the utilities are stocking up a little bit earlier um they're booking rail capacity instead of um, barge um i know the rail operators so db cargo for example is laying on more trains than perhaps they would do in the past um but the other thing is the market's very different to how mm. it was last year so um we came out of a very very harsh winter mm. um stocks were really low gas stocks were, were low um this year there's so much gas again as we're going back mm. into that that even if there is a shortage of coal um it shouldn't roll it shouldn't mm. be such an issue so i think purely purely because the market's very different this year it, it, we won't see the same sort of issues the same sort of utilities announcing disruptions mm. to power output um, um because there, there will be alternatives mm. Um, what, how low did the river Rhine fall last year? Was it 40 centimetres? Well, we got down to 25 centimetres, which I think was, again, the lowest since 1880. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was very low. I mean, but again, the barges have got flat bottoms. They can still go through, but they have to reduce the loads they carry mm. so much. I mean, in, in terms, they were you know, carrying a third of capacity, sometimes less. Mm. Um, and as a, as a result of that, the barge operators charge a premium. Mm. Um, so the costs skyrocket for anyone who wants to bring coal in, and they have to pay up for it. So... Mm. Although we don't see any stock data for the German plants, it's uh, um, confidential. You know, hearsay is that stocks are probably fairly, fairly good, mm. um, especially if you know if the port stocks are anything to go by. A big part of the political landscape in the UK over the past week or two weeks has been the Extinction Rebellion. That's part of a very public rebellion or a or a movement to to urge the politicians to do something about climate change coming from the the school kids rebellion uh and also what's happening now and on the streets and bridges of london um do you think this is going to exert more and more pressure on politicians to maybe speed up the coal exit you mentioned the netherlands um and in other countries such as germany which which laurie's talking about although obviously in the uk there's a big push but uh, the uk is already gone a long way. Correct. I think it's uh, when it comes down to countries where coal and again lignite have such an important play such an important role there has to be a political solution that's not just an economics based solution and so this may actually lengthen the time okay because of the, the usual arguments about jobs and about uh, you know the regional economies so uh, Yes, protests are important, but uh, there also is the political and 
we must admit it, lobbying side of things where it's sort of a countervailing force to these protests. Mm. I guess the protests get a lot of the news, but but the uh, economic power of the utilities gets a lot of the uh, politicians' ears, perhaps. Okay, maybe they get they they listen to them more than maybe to some people on the on yes. The and so, in t- one also needs to be realistic in terms of of you know how much acceleration there can be. Mm. Um, the the United Kingdom has done things well uh, in terms of sort of starting early. You know, um, the leg the coal legacy has been has been shed. Uh, mm. by, by the UK, um, ahead of many other countries. Countries like Germany and Poland in particular are quite a bit slower in that, but there are reasons. Mm. Of course. So do you expect, I mean, there's a, there's a huge pressure, and I know that there's the, the coal exit commission in Germany is you know proposing changes to the law. I mean, how, how quickly... Do you expect things to move in, in, in Germany in this direction? Uh, I don't have a strong view on this, mm. um, so I cannot uh, say how quickly. Mm. Um, the one thing I can say is that so sometimes these things seem to move very slowly and then there is a sudden acceleration. Um, I see it a little bit less uh, likely in Poland because if you look at it, there is... Um, a very large state or partially state-owned utility that, as far as I could see, does not have a plan B. Mm. Okay, mm. plan There's plan A, which is coal and lignite, and they're doubling down. Mm-hmm. And they have the um, sort of agreement and help, in a way, from the government. Now, of course, Poland does not live in uh, isolation. Poland is part of the EU. Mm. So I can see these dynamics continue continuing for mm. uh, where there's a push and a pull. How does this all play out on, on wholesale power prices? And we've talked a little about the pricing curves for, for, for coal, but how, how does this play out for, for European wholesale prices for, for the next... For power year? prices, um, again, what we have seen in the past few years is that prices had gotten to a low, low level, a level that made many large utilities unprofitable, okay? Mm. And then prices have recovered prices have recovered from from those lows and it may not seem much but a, a difference of say 5 euros per megawatt hour will have a very strong impact on the bottom line of of utilities mm. so mm. price recovery may not seem impressive if we move from 40 to 45 you know mm. but at the same time they can have a big difference uh, in, on the bottom line of utilities and so utilities that would not have survived at say sub 40 or sub 30 even when we when we reach those levels mm. they will not exactly thrive with current prices obviously once again keeping in mind the relatives of price of coal price of gas mm. um, but it it is better so mm. we, we shouldn't expect prices to jump up mm-hmm. but slowly kind of move up in that yeah, but slowly that. move up, yes. Mm. And and is this cyclical as well, or is this? Um, of course, and and of course, power has its own price. But we must not forget that it, the power uh, price mm. is a derivative of the price of the fuels that are burned uh, to uh, to obtain the power when we're looking at thermal generation. So again, the interplay of coal versus gas. I think that's quite interesting. I think um, certainly coal plants also set some of the price in the Nordic region, even though coal is on the way out. I mean, when do you expect that to, to, to change? I mean, when could the gas gas plants be the, the price setting? I don't know. 
No, I mean, um, maybe it's, this, this is hard to say, really. I, it just surprises me that, you know, in a region where there is not so much cold, it still kind of sets the, the, the price of, of the marginal, the price of power. Um, it's, it's intriguing for me. It depends on what the marginal unit is. And of course, once again, we must not forget uh, interplay of mm. uh, imports and exports uh, across, across countries. Mm. I, we have not touched on it, but w- another important dynamic of this is the fact that when we talk about generating power by burning coal, we're talking about certain types of units, which are usually large units mm. and not exactly flexible units. And sure. so then those are, those are the problems yeah. where if you look at an average price, you get an answer mm. that may be even reassuring a bit. But then when you look at the actual operation of these plants and how much they can make uh, in terms of returns, the flexibility, they cannot offer flexibility and so, therefore, there there are elements of that that are covered by the renewables. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I th- what what do you think, Laurie, in terms of the drivers going forward now? I mean, what 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 are the areas which we should be looking forward into in in terms of looking looking at in terms of the the price setting dynamics? I mean, what are the key elements now for the remainder of this year and into next year? Well, certainly, for for this year, um, it's going to continue to be. Well, gas is going to play play a key role again in Europe, as always for coal, Asia. So China depends what happens in China. You know, if I know Three Gorges Dam clonks out, then suddenly you've got 22 gigs which have to be replaced. Mm. So you, you can never really quite be sure what happens there. And obviously on the policy side, what, what sort of policy they're likely to bring in. Um, weather, you know, do we get El Nino this year? Will that affect output? Um, I think there's mm. latest forecasts, a sort of 70% likelihood. So... That's, I think, triple the, the usual <laughs> usual um, likelihood. And this, again, can, can have both beneficial and negative impacts on, on production, um, depending on where you are. How, um, how does that happen then? Could you well, for example, well uh, you tend to result in drier weather. So, for example, in Australia, you may have less you know, flood-related issues or mm. um, less um, heavy rains causing problems. Um, but, for example, Colombia, um, you may have productions with... Uh, you may have problems with dust, um, maybe high levels of dust, which can restrict production. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, again, it's, it depends. Um, that, that can play out in a very different way as well. So, yeah, whether, again, whether, whether in Europe, whether in China, what kind of, you know, are we going to get a, a warm, hot summer? Are we going to get a, um, a mild one? Are we going to get a, well, I'm likely to have a cold one, but um, mm-hmm. the, the, these things are all going to play into it. Yeah, as always with coal, there's always a wild card which which jumps out from somewhere. I say China, um, weather and, and gas, probably three big ones at the moment. Well, these surprises that uh, Lawrence is mentioning, they usually hit in one direction, right? You're never going to have a surprise where it, you all of a sudden have um, much less supply unless some event happens, right? Mm. Um, So usually surprises tend to drive prices up. Does geopolitics have a role here at all? I mean, they're talking, you know, talk of a trade war, potentially the the China-US issues. Could that play in? Most definitely. And and one of the ways that that would play in is through FX markets, where, again, if we look a a little bit uh, back, uh, let's say, to 2016, uh, 2016 here in Europe means Brexit. And so what Brexit did is it triggered a move towards safety and safety for currencies means dollar. And so that meant dollar strength. In 2017, what we have seen is the U.S. Federal Reserve increasing rates 
And now to bring it to just last year, what we see again is U.S. protectionism. So once again, questions about trade and trade deals or disruptions of trade that have once again led to an appreciation, global appreciation of the U.S. dollar. This has an impact on coal prices since coal is priced in U.S. dollars. So why we're not talking about Russia when it's such a big coal market? Russia certainly is a very, very big one. And I think that's, I mean, that's also an, an, an interesting point regarding supply. Um, for example, looking at past winter, or we've actually seen an interesting thing in terms of climatic changes as well. So, for example, 10 years ago, every winter there was a, you know, everyone would look at the, at the ice situation in the Baltic and think, you know, what, what's going to happen? Um, is there going to be thick ice? If it's thick ice, it can, it can you know, disrupt the shipping. Um, we had stories of at least one vessel, I think it was biomass actually, but at least one vessel which took five weeks to sail from from St. Petersburg to Helsinki. This now is not happening. They're having less ice in the Baltic, so supply issues are less of, a, are less of an issue. The icebreakers are more, more efficient. On top of that... Uh, Russia has invested quite heavily in its export infrastructure, so it's, there's a new port at Taman in, on the Sea of Azov in the south, which is coming online this year. It's already started loading vessels. It's supposed to become more, well, it could reach up to 25 million tons a year, they, they say. I don't, don't know if they'll be able to fill that capacity, but it's certainly a sign that if Russia wants to get coal out, it will. Um, and it's still a very, very important supplier. It supplies maybe 30%, 35% of Germany's um, what about because the criticism has always been so it's very cheap, but their infrastructure, the in coal transport infrastructure in Russia is falling apart essentially, mm -hmm. and so you know that hasn't happened yet because they've been exporting and they've increased their mm -hmm. exports, but is that a threat? Still, you know, it seems to be. It is always a threat, and there's, there's certainly uh, certainly that the the infra the, the infrastructure so the rail. Especially, they used to have huge problems with bottlenecks on the rail capacity. They have expanded this. Um, there, there do seem to be improvements there. Um, also, even things just at the ports, for example, they seem to have been investing more in facilities for warming the carriages when they arrive to get the ice. To, so in the past, they had problems unloading because they had ice freezing the coal. This is less of an issue now. So they have been quite... It's, it's always very, very hard to get a straight answer from, from any of the operators on, on what's, what's happening, and it's hard to get clear information. But certainly, I mean, they opened new sections of rail. They've opened a new two-mile tunnel or something last year um, near the Kuzbass region. So they, they are doing things. And um, this, like I said earlier, the, the sort of disruptions to logistics which used to be a quite a key driver for for api2 prices for global prices maybe we, we're kind of hearing less of them now paolo and, and laurie thank you very much for joining the montel weekly podcast this week um I, we look forward to to having you um on board again to see how how, how things then played out over the course of the year and see whether our, our analysis was uh, was on the ball or not as it were for the latest news from the energy markets go to our twitter at montel news and follow us also on our website at montel news be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on Spotify and also on iTunes. This is all for today's episode. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.